welcome to I Don't Know the Podcast, Episode 12, The Ethereus Society. In 1954, London taxi driver and yoga guy George King received a psychic message telling him to prepare. He then received telepathic messages from Venus. They told him Buddha, Jesus and Krishna were extraterrestrials sent to teach us how to live and now it was up to George to do the same. So listen on to find out what I don't know about George King and the Aetherius Society. an amazing experience. Two point five seconds from being there. Yeah. You don't know how long it takes to from that. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, my dear Finn. I cannot answer the question for you. It would be easy. Foolish, I think, to deride Mr. King, who, if nothing else, is absolutely sincere. George King was born in Shropshire, England. He was brought up in a Christian family that also had interests in the occult. George moved to London, where he became a taxi driver. He also joined a number of fringe groups that dealt with the metaphysical. He also became obsessed with yoga and meditation. I don't know if anyone listening has ever ridden in a black London cab, but let me tell you, when you think of a London cabbie, yoga is the last hobby you'd expect one to have. In fact, I didn't even know any, there were any yoga guys back in the 50s. The man bun hadn't been invented yet. And when I say he was into yoga, I mean he was really into yoga. For over 10 years, he yogured for sometimes 12 hours a day. He became so good at yogaring that he became what he called a Noah. According to King, he was sitting alone in his London flat, definitely not masturbating, when suddenly he heard a voice. The voice claimed to be Master Aetherius. The voice said, Prepare yourself. You are to become the voice of the interplanetary parliament. And a few days later, George was again alone in his flat, still definitely not masturbating, when a yoga master walked through the locked door of his apartment and taught him exercises to help him contact the cosmic masters using primary terrestrial mental channel and that's how the Aetherius Society started in 1955 he appeared on BBC television show Lifeline 
1959 to explain it all. George Channeling. This is the BBC in the 50s. It's in black and white. George is in a bare studio with three men in suits who do not do smiling. Women and Smiling was banned from the BBC in the 1950s for being too provocative. Good evening. You've been listening to a recording of the voice of Mr King, who is a chairman of the Ethereum Society. The recording was made while Mr. King was in a trance state and was transmitting, he believes, the intelligence of a person called Mars Sector 6. Mr. King is going to discuss his views, his experiences, and give us some of what he regards as the evidence in support of them this evening. We have also with us in the studio two scientific colleagues of mine, both to listen to and then discuss this evidence together. The first is Dr. Dewhurst, who is an astronomer from the Cambridge Observatories, and the second is a psychiatric colleague who, under the present regulations, constantly criticised of our profession, will, like myself, be anonymous. He is a psychiatrist with a special training in Jungian psychology. Well, this sounds like it's going to be fun. Mr. King, how long has the Ethereum Society been in existence? Uh, three years now. You're its founder chairman? That's correct, yes. Before you founded the Ethereum <coughs> Society, uh, what was your occupation? I was a taxi driver. I see. How old are you now? <coughs> uh, Forty. He wasn't impressed with his job, was he? Just carried straight on. So you found it when you were 37? Uh, yes, that's right. Um, you see, I had uh, quite an amazing experience uh, one Saturday morning while I was washing up some dishes. See, I told you he wasn't masturbating. I had a voice, uh, quite defin definitely a voice out of this world, say to me, prepare yourself, you are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. Soon after this, I had a physical visitation from a member of uh, the cosmic hierarchy, if you like, who gave me certain instructions. Um, I obeyed these instructions to the letter, and later on um, I found I could contact intelligences from other planets. Uh, this visitation that you describe, what happened? Well, it was quite physical. Uh, I was sat in a room, um, and a man walked through a locked door uh, across the... the um, carpet on the floor and he was quite physical when he crossed the boards they creaked and he sat down opposite to me and began to talk to me someone just walks into his flat 
interrupting him doing God knows what, and they have a chat. I see. He had a, a, a body and a face just like anybody else. Just, he was as physical as you are now. Where did he in fact come from? Um, <clears throat> he, he is a man who is living uh, in northern India at the moment, but he came from another planet, I believe it was Venus. Now, when he came into your room through the locked door with this ordinary physical body, did he resemble any other human inhabitant of this planet? Or Yes, he, he would have been taken for, um, for uh, uh, an Indian, I think. That's a bit racist. I see. And this was the body which he has when he's on Venus as well? No, this, is a, this was a special body he used when he was on this Earth. What happens to it when he's not here? Um, I think uh, he is capable of breaking up the atomic structure and cellular structure and reforming another body when he goes back to Venus again. It's at this point that the eye-rolling starts with the other men in the studio. Now, um, he gave you some instructions which you followed. Could you describe them? Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't. I see. Oh, maybe he forgot. But as a result of those, you became uh, a channel for the transmission of messages from cosmic intelligence. Yes, that's right. Yes. You have a title which you've been given in this respect. Yes, uh, the space people refer to me as mental channel number one. And they send their messages directly through you as a rule? Uh, they do, yes. I think I've received more messages for, from the space people than any other person on Earth at the moment. Well, of course he has. He's mental channel number one. He's the first one they're going to call. They're only going to call mental channel number two if George doesn't answer. Now, in addition to the messages which you receive in a trance state, do you receive visitors from outer space in person? I have met uh, people from outer space. You've met people from Saturn? I've met people from Saturn, Mars and Venus, yes. Uranus? Sadly, no. George describes what another person from Saturn looks like, and it takes a very long time. Um, does he have a physical existence uh, only when he's on Earth, or are the physical existences on Saturn, for example? No, <coughs> he um, lives in a physical body on Saturn, but it's uh, a little bit different than the one I've described to you. I see. When he's on the Earth, he breathes the air like we do? Yes, and, and he eats the same as you do. And, I mean, could he swim in the sea and things like that? Yes, except he wouldn't eat meat. He wouldn't eat meat? No. So, people from Saturn come here for the swimming and the vegetarian food? Now, when they come to, to visit you, when they come to visit the Earth, how do they get here? They uh, come to Earth in the vehicles that we refer to as flying saucers. You've seen one of these, have you? Oh, I've seen a couple of hundred, I suppose. Close up? <coughs> Quite close, yes, some of them. What do they look like? <coughs> well, <coughs> they look rather like um, two saucers put together. It's a flying saucer. What are they made of? <coughs> a metal which is may be described, I think, as organic metal. What does organic metal mean? I'm sorry. I... <clears throat> well, it has um, a living uh, cellular structure, um, rather uh, as a human has a living cellular structure that constitutes his body. Is it a metal comparable to those we know on Earth? No, no, no. There's more eye-rolling. Have you ever travelled in one of these um, vehicles? Not in a physical body, but um, I, I'd like to um, point out that my mother has travelled in one of these vehicles in a physical body. I guess the nut doesn't fall far from the tree, eh? 
Now, she's made a recording of her experience, which you played to me and from which we've selected an excerpt. Excellent. This is a long recording and we've only time for a very mm. short portion of it. In it, one can hear Mrs. King, that's Mr. King's mother, describing uh, the whole of her trip in a flying saucer. She describes how she enters it, how she meets the crew, how it takes off, how she flies inside this vehicle and finds herself somewhere in space. She doesn't know where. The point at which we're going to play the recording is the point at which she is describing looking at some of the instruments inside the saucer and what she sees when it is in flight and when she's inside it. Could we have the recording? Certainly. Play that clip. And it was the strangest, most fantastic thing you've ever seen. Behind this screen seemed to be a, a round world moving slowly. Unfortunately, the whole clip sounds like that, and I really cannot understand a word she's saying. Now, you've heard your mother's first-hand account of this, apart from this recording. Oh, I have indeed, yeah. Tell me quite frankly, Mr King, allowing for the fact that she's your mother and she knows your interest mm. in these matters, do you think she's been led away to any extent by her enthusiasm, or do you think this actually has happened to her? Well, this is Mummy's talking about. This actually did happen to my mother. You're, you're quite sure about it. Yes, I'll stake my life on it. But yeah, George sticks up for his old mum. Um, incidentally, how long does it take them to get, for instance, from Saturn mm. to the Earth? How long would that take? Have a guess. I'm guessing a week. Um, I'm not sure, but from Venus to the Earth, if they're really pushed for time, yes. they can do the journey in uh, 2.5 seconds. 2.5 seconds? That's not even enough time for the drinks cart to come out. 2.5 seconds from Venus to the Earth? Yeah. You don't know how long it takes them from Saturn? I'm not sure, no. Can you imagine it taking two hours to go through security and immigration, you get on the plane, and two and a half seconds you have to do it again? But the presenter wants to get back to the channeling. They have messages that they feel must be transmitted through you. What are these messages about? <clears throat> well, they uh, stress the dangers of atomic experimentation and also uh, turn back to what they uh, call the laws which are God. Oh. What kind of laws are they actually postulating? <clears throat> well, the, the laws as laid down by Jesus and Buddha, Krishna and other great teachers who came to the earth. Damn it, I hate those laws. George goes on a bit about religious teachings and then warns of the danger of a big crack in the earth that goes from Siberia to Australia. If it opens, then the Pacific Ocean will fall into it. But that's pretty boring, so we get back to aliens. Now, when you get visitations, physical visitations, you see the people and they talk to you in an ordinary voice in an ordinary way. Oh, yes. The, the voice isn't quite ordinary, though. It has a certain peculiar quality which... I can best describe as a quality of running water. <coughs> Sorry about that. George is then asked to actually channel in the studio in a very roundabout way. Could you do that this evening? Um, I think I could, yes. Before I ask you to do it, there is one other question which I'd like to ask you, which I hope you will accept as completely sincere, but to be answered with equal sincerity. Many people are clearly going to draw the conclusion that you are 
sincerely but absolutely deluded in all you say, that this mm. isn't true, that you believe it, and it is a sheer delusion. How British is that? Sincerely apologising while telling you that you're clearly insane. So, George says neither he nor his mum is insane and agrees to channel. He puts on some weird-looking dark goggles, does some breathing exercises, and begins. Good evening. Good evening. My dear friend. Your name is? I am known as Ethereus. Where do you come from? The planet Venus. Where are you speaking from now? I'm sorry, my dear friend. I cannot answer that question for you. I had wondered simply whether you were in a vehicle of some kind, of a spaceship described by Mr. King when he was talking to me, or whether you were in your normal abode. But you can't tell me that? Uh, no. Oh, no. People on Venus sound even more posh than the BBC presenters. You do travel, normally, in what Mr King has described as flying saucers when you move about space, do you? Yes, <clears throat> that is quite correct. We have indeed been visiting this Earth of yours for some 18 million of your Earth years. 18 million of your Earth yards. And when you come here, what is your purpose in coming? At the moment, Earth, as you call it, faces a certain situation. The situation can be described as a rather um, a dangerous one. You are liable uh, to upset uh, the balance of your Earth through number one, atomic experimentation, and number two, your deviation uh, from uh, the spiritual laws. He goes on to talk about flying saucers for a bit before it's all wrapped up. Is there <clears throat> one single message that you would like to give us this evening? I'm afraid it must be brief, you'll understand that. Yes. I would like to say this. If you are a Christian, then live the laws as laid down by Jesus. If you are a Buddhist, live the laws as laid down by Buddha. If you are a Hindu, then be the best Hindu. Oh, so what am I supposed to do then? And that pretty much wraps up the message from Venus. George slumps in his chair, and now we hear Professor Dewhurst, the astronomer, who's been sitting politely all through this. He waffles on a bit, basically to apologise to George about what he's going to say. If uh, we are to think uh, of um, beings at all like ourselves, uh, on the surface of Saturn, then quite frankly this is impossible. But he's met them. Uh, in, in addition, uh, all the high forms of life that we know on the surface of the Earth, uh, mammals and so on, uh, uh, breathe 
uh, or rely on uh, oxygen for their existence. It's completely lacking in Saturn. Uh, the atmosphere is probably made uh, very largely of hydrogen uh, and certainly uh, there's uh, a large quantity of methane, um, fire damp, poisonous gas, but uh, no oxygen containing atom and molecules that we know. Maybe they live in special space houses or something. Supposing that the refutation on the scientific aspect that has been given by our colleague is absolute and that uh, Mr. King is sincerely misguided or deluded about the nature of the scientific aspect of his claims. So the astronomer shoots down everything that George claims, including flying to Venus from Earth in 2.5 seconds. Now they turn to the anonymous psychiatrist, who we can clearly see. There is something about the symbolic aspects of them which perhaps you could comment on. Yes, I think certainly, because you've got to assume if flying saucers have no real physical existence and the people that he's talking about also have no real physical existence, you've got to assume that they are fantasies. That is, that they are things which originate within the mind itself, that he is imagining or conjuring up these creatures uh, and that they are attributed to the sky, to outer space, uh, and this is indeed a familiar psychological mechanism which we know as projection. Oh my God, George is sitting right there, you know. So that the sky is a particularly suitable place to uh, receive projections from within the mind itself. You, you can see anything in the sky if you look hard enough, as it were. I'm beginning to think this show isn't about George at all, but it's more of a posh voice competition. So that the sky is a particularly suitable place to uh, receive projections from within the mind itself. You, you can see anything in the sky if you look hard enough, as it were. I think that's a very long way around to say he's making it all up. I'd like you to give your view, and Jung's, about why people are seeing flying saucers now. Well, he regards us as being in a state of, the world as being in a state of being divided into two armed camps, as it were. It's natural that we should all be suffering anxiety. We all live under the threat of destruction. So it's not just me. Phew. Not only is this a posh voice competition, but it also seems to be who can say the least in the most words. It does eventually come to an end. It would be easy, foolish, I think, to deride Mr. King, who, if nothing else, is absolutely sincere. Because what Mr. King is really doing, perhaps through what may well be total delusion, is nevertheless uttering in one way, in a symbolic form, the cry of anxiety that divides our world, that our scientific interest has outrun our wisdom and our humanity in some respects, and we're afraid that it may outrun our existence. We therefore may not agree with what Mr. King claims or says. We may think that he is sincere, but deluded. But we shall delude ourselves if we think that there is no significance in these fears and their expression in this form. Nobody believes George, and the host finds increasingly polite ways to call him a nut job. But George was undeterred. He went to the space in Caxton Hall in London, and that's where the Aetherius Society started. From its new headquarters, George King would channel messages from the Cosmic Masters. George also acquired a few titles. He's often referred to as Dr. King. It is, however, not known where George got his doctorate. Some of his followers claim it's not from a university on Earth, 
but was bestowed on him by spiritual sources. And there's more. This is one way he described himself. Sir George King, OSP, PhD, THD, DD, Metropolitan Archbishop of the Aetherius Churches, Founder President of the Aetherius Society. He also claimed to have these titles. Prince Grand Master of the Mystical Order of St. Peter, His Royal Highness Prince George King de Santori, and Knight of Malta. Jesus, that must be a real pain in the ass when you're filling out forms. I think we'll just keep calling him George. He is dead now, so I don't think we'll get any complaints. So what were the main beliefs of the Aetherius Society? George mixed yoga with just about every other religion, and then added space aliens. Here's what one of his followers said on a TV discussion show with Nicky Campbell. Mark Brenner from the Aetherius Society. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Good to see you. Now, you believe very much beings from other planets have guided our religions. Who are they? Where are they? Can we see them? We believe that um, various uh, religious leaders from history uh, have an interplanetary origin. We believe that Jesus and Buddha came from Venus, uh, that Sri Krishna came from Saturn, that St. Peter came from Mars, and so on. And this may seem uh, absurd to someone who's never heard it before. Not at all. Uh, but if you, if you compare it to certain ideas which are very widely accepted around the world, actually, given logical scrutiny, it makes a lot more sense. I would say that it makes much more sense to say that Jesus was an interplanetary being who came to Earth to help mankind than to say that God uh, created a one and only Son who was also himself at a random point in history in order to come to Earth and forgive people their sins for some reason we don't really know. I must point out that this guy is surrounded by priests and vicars, none of whom look very happy right now. Okay, uh, let me, if I may, um, investigate this a little bit further. Uh, these, these interplanetary or planetary beings, they, they, operate, they operate on a different plane, yeah? Explain that. Yes, exactly. If uh, NASA were to send a spacecraft to Venus tomorrow, and astronauts were to walk about and have a look, they would not discover Venusian civilization. Venusian civilization is far more advanced than ours, both technologically and spiritually, and it exists at a higher frequency of vibration. So but we do not yet have the science to be able to... Exactly, we do not yet have the science. Right. One day we will. Yeah, and as you say, Jesus and Buddha and uh, the master of theorists, they're all sort of masters of infinite wisdom and so forth. And, and, and they're masters and of love. great wisdom. Great and wisdom. love, yes. Oh, great, and, and love, yeah. Working behind the scenes, presumably. Yes, unfortunately, they are not allowed to intervene more than they already do. Uh, they, they care deeply about us and about the planet, and they do as much as they are allowed to do within the karmic law. Yeah, yeah. And what happens to us when we die? When we die, we pass to another frequency of vibration while we uh, prepare to be reborn onto this earth. What? I've got to go through all this shit again? And this process continues until we've learned all life's lessons on this earth, and then we have the opportunity to be born onto another planet, onto a higher experience cycle. Right, okay. Um... Damn it. I never learned my lesson. George and his cult, <clears throat> I mean religion, focused on the improvement of mankind both individually and as a whole. For that, 
to happen, George undertook three main operations. Operation Starlight started in 1958. George was told by the Cosmic Masters that he had to climb 18 peaks. At each peak, he has to channel the Masters to energize the peaks. Then, anybody could climb them and send out their own messages. For some reason. Operation Sunbeam goes something like this. The energy already put into the mountains had to be shielded from Mother Earth. So mankind could take care of itself? Operation Prayer Power used a prayer battery. Not one you can buy in the shops. This had to be invented by George himself. Every week, hundreds of people would pray into the battery. Then George would direct the stored up prayers to wherever they might be needed. Let's hear George explain it for himself. Now this is a metaphysical breakthrough. Uh, for the first time on the physical levels of Earth, we can actually store prayer power. George is standing next to a very homemade looking blue box on a tripod. As you know, prayer is a tremendous energy and can be invoked by anyone who virtually believes in the power of prayer. Prayer power has throughout the centuries uh, in the fields of healing confounded medical science. Has it? Has it really? I mean, I pray every day and I still haven't won the lottery or have a large penis. But never before has the energy invoked by the simple expedient of prayer been stored in a physical container so that it could be used at any time. And that's the whole essence of Operation Prayer Power. Prayer energy can enter through this area and be arrested by the design uh, of the battery and contained in the crystals within this battery. This guy really does cover all the bases. Jesus, Buddha, space aliens, and they are crystals. Although uh, this mechanism uh, does things that uh, other pieces of machinery do not do uh, yet on Earth, it still does not replace people. You can't have prayer without people. Well, he is right about that. Uh, in Operation Prayer Power, we collect the energy that you have invoked. And we store this energy, and then we direct it to different parts of the world. I don't think he's ever pointed it at Croydon. Here's what it's like when people put their prayers into the battery. Om Mani Padme Hum, 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 Om M
Let your light flow through this world now. No, I don't know what they're chanting either. Now, let's get back to George's cosmic chats. What exactly are they telling him? It can't all be be good to each other and shit. And it isn't. They warn George about impending nuclear disasters, and the Ethereans say they can prove it. In 1957, Britain's first nuclear power station had a fire. Officials and the government said it was not serious. However, the cosmic intelligences told George that the scientists are not in any way giving a true account of the results of the accident. And documents released in 1989 back up George's claim. And in 1958, Mars Sector 6 called George to tell him there was a nuclear accident in what was then the Soviet Union. Hundreds of people were killed, but the Mars people said it was prevented from being worse because they used space technology to suck up the radiation. No one knew about this nuclear accident until Zohorez Medvedev defected to the West in 1976 and blew the whistle. However, the accident happened in 1957, a year before Mars Sector 6 told George. And finally, in 1986, Cosmic Intelligences told George to prepare for a disaster and activate special radionic apparatus. Five hours later, Chernobyl exploded. George didn't say what the disaster was going to be. He was in Utah at the time, and in the US that week, there'd been reports of volcanic eruptions in Alaska. So, that could have just been a bit of luck. For George, not the people that live near Chernobyl. The Aetherius Society's mix of yoga, space aliens, and every other religion was so popular enough to go international. And George moved to Santa Barbara, California, where he set up the US headquarters. There are also centres in Australia, New Zealand, and a bunch of other places. What could I expect if I were to visit the Aetherius Society today? Luckily, the London group made a short and informative video to explain. Hi everyone. My name is Sasha Brezidi, and as administrator of our program, I'd like to introduce and welcome you to the Aetherius Temple, a dynamic center of spiritual healing and inspired teaching based on the pioneering spiritual path of Master of Yoga and outstanding medium, Dr. George King. Whether you're a total beginner or have been practicing spiritual techniques for decades, you will find the temple a spiritual experience unlike any other totally dedicated to global peace, healing, and enlightenment in a very active, spiritual way. If you're seeking meaning to life, a greater understanding of life's big questions, want to learn simple, practical techniques to help yourself and others, the Theorist Temple is the space for you. Well, that sounds nice. We present talks and workshops on a variety of subjects, such as karma, yoga, breathing, spiritual healing, prayer, UFOs, intuition, and psychic powers. We offer free contact spiritual healing sessions and coordinate weekly global healing activities, which all of you are welcome to join in with. Did she say free? The temple is run by the Aetherius Society, a non-profit spiritual organization run largely by volunteers. 
All proceeds go towards furthering the society's spiritual work and ideals. Realize your inner potential. Change the world with spiritual energy. Subscribe to our email list and be the first to hear of our amazing talks, workshops and healing activities. Visit our website london-temple.org to find out more. And I look forward to meeting you very soon. Well, sign me up. She actually gave the wrong web address, though. You can become a friend of the Ethereum Society for just £7. That's right. For the low, low price of £7, you qualify to attend special events and get 10% off all Ethereum products and workshops. After that, you can apply for full membership for the crazy low-down price of £50. Current membership is thought to be around 700 but there are 10,000 su subscribers to their mailing list. Actually, it's 10,001 now, and their YouTube channel has 2,500 subscribers. Episode, Episode 12, 12 The Ethereum Society, The Epilogue. So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that British people can be very polite when they're insulting you to your face. Because what Mr. King is really doing, perhaps, through what may well be total delusion, is nevertheless uttering, in one way, in a symbolic form, the cry of anxiety that divides our world. We learnt that people on Venus are very posh. I am Neon is Ethereus. And we learnt that praying works better if you're surrounded by a bunch of weirdos chanting some gobbledygook. I'm not sure what to make of the Ethereum Society. They mostly preach about self-improvement and all the usual New Age stuff. Their beliefs seem to be mostly borrowed from other places, but with added aliens. And George also seems to have watched the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still an awful lot. And George's grasp of astronomy is not particularly good, given that Venus is hotter than the middle of a McDonald's apple pie. Jesus would not enjoy living there. But they're not scamming people out of large sums of money, unlike another better-known UFO-based cult. They're not isolating followers or doing any of the other shitty things that cults tend to do. So, as a religion-slash-cult, they seem pretty harmless. Just... Really fucking weird. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at I don't know pod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all of his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know. Good morning, Mr. Jones. We've been waiting for you. Won't you come on in? We'd like to talk to you about your progress. See how things happen.